so as the word of God is about to be preached, let us stand in reverence to the word of God. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Jacob wrestles with God. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. But then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men. And that prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place, the name of that place, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh, that is on the hip socket, because he touched, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we have come to you in praise. We have come to you in confession. We have thanked you for the gifts you've given us. And God, you tell us to bring all our requests before you, before you love us. So, Lord, we bring our requests of our congregation before you. I pray now, Lord, for those battling sickness. I pray for Ken Tedder. We pray, God, that you would continue to, to heal him, God, continue to give him high. Heba woman couch, God, we pray that you would allow this last transfusion to, to work its effect. We pray for Jerry Green, Lord. We pray that you would give him a sense of energy, that you would restore him to be able to do more around the home. Uh, Father, we, we lift up to you, John and, and Jamie, as they prepare for marriage. We thank you so much for the light and the joy they have been to our congregation. I pray, God, that as they prepare for this uh, sacred day, that you would just warm their hearts and remind them of the beauty of the gospel, uh, that marriage is a picture of that, Lord, that you have given them each other uh, to make your name great in this world. Father, we do pray for our, uh, for our local uh, school board. We pray that you would give them wisdom as they consider this release time education. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just soften the hearts of the school board. Lord, that this would be an opportunity for children to, to hear your truth, God. Uh, regardless of what people think of Christianity, Lord, it cannot be denied of the impact that you have had upon our world. That how your people have changed nation after nation because of their love and compassion. So, Father, we pray that this would be an opportunity that you would, would open to the hearts of our kids, that they could um, hear and believe in the gospel of Christ. Father, we do pray for uh, the people of Egypt this morning as they grieve the, the passing of many uh, friends and family members in this crash. We pray, God, that you would, would even use this tragedy to draw people into fellowship with you, that they'd be awakened from their slumber to realize that the time is short, that they would not live... Um, for this world, but they would live 
for that day when they meet you in glory. Father, we just do pray also for, for, our, for our city, uh, for the gospel proclamation today. We pray for Joey Deese at Oakdale Baptist Church. We pray, God, that as he preaches, that you just bind him to the text of your word. That as he preaches, that he would preach the gospel of Christ. That that church would be formed more and more into the likeness of Christ and a love and a passion for you and your glory. Father, we now come to you asking you to soften our hearts. Lord, you know everything going on in everyone's life this morning. Uh, You know the pressures of work coming tomorrow. Uh, You know the stresses in the home. Uh, You know the the sins of this past week, the fears, the, the inadequacies. God, you know how the evil one wants to distract us from hearing what you have for us now. So we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our eyes to see your glory. We pray that our eyes will be open to see Jesus Christ in a, in a pure light. Father, we pray that you would just bless the congregation of Park Baptist Church, that you would continue to bind us in love for one another and for you. We pray, God, that we would not be a self-sufficient and prideful people, but, God, that we would be meek, that we would be humble, God. We know that that can only happen by your grace, so we pray that you would do it this morning. We pray now, Lord, that as the word of God is declared, that you would just preach through it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in thy sight, my rock, my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the 1988 Olympics, ten minutes before the start of the 400-meter race, uh, Derek Redman had to withdraw due to an injury to his Achilles tendon. I mean, can you imagine struggling month after month, year after year, to make it all the way to the Olympics, to the gold medal round, only having to withdraw ten minutes before the race starts? Redmond left Seoul, Korea, without a medal. The following year, Redmond experienced five separate surgeries. He worked hard to recover from his injuries over the following years and qualified for the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Redmond made it all the way back to the semifinals. This was going to be his year that he would finally show the world that his struggle would pay off in gold. He was the top finisher of the top two qualifying heats. He lined up on the starting line with years of struggle behind him. The gun went off, and he burst from the line. Redman had the lead going into the back half of the race when he heard a pop. His right hamstring was torn. His dreams of winning the gold were over. But the race was not. The the medical team raced out to him to bring a stretcher to help, but Redman picked himself off the ground and continued struggling forward to finish the race. His face grimaced in pain with every step. He struggled for this day for four years. He was going to finish the race, but he could barely walk. As Redman continued to struggle towards the finish line, limping in agony, One of the greatest moments in Olympic history happened. His father jumped over the railing, barreled past a security guard, and started running towards his son. 
Jim Redmond made it to his son, threw his arms, his son threw his arms around his father, sobbing as his father softly said, I'm here, son. We'll finish together. As father and son struggled toward the finish line, different security guards told him, his father, that he had to leave. He just brushed him off. He would not leave his son. Derek Redmond's struggle did not earn him a gold medal, but it enabled him to cross the finish line. He finished the race with a limp by being carried by the love of a father. As Redmond lived his whole life to finish that race at the Olympics, we, as God's people, are called to finish our race for his glory. The Christian life is a race. We are called to struggle to finish that race. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At the end of Paul's life, you know what he said. He said that, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that will be awarded to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Are you struggling to finish the race? Are you struggling to enter in to the promised land? Jacob was in the promised land. But he was forced to leave the land because he deceived his father into bestowing the blessing of the firstborn onto him. His brother Esau wanted to kill him. So Jacob went to his grandfather Abraham's homeland. While in Haran, we, we looked at this a little last week, Jacob would be locked in a battle of deception with Laban. Laban deceived him after seven years of labor to giving him Leah rather than Rachel, providing seven more years of work. Jacob would then deceive Laban to receive the healthy flock, securing great wealth. Jacob would eventually flee Laban and try to make his way back to the promised land. Jacob, the deceiver, the schemer, would need to change if he was going to enter the promised land. So as we examine Jacob's struggle, I want to put it in the context of the entire promise. I want to ask you just two simple questions this morning to see if you are struggling to finish the race into the promised land. First question, are you struggling in self-sufficiency against God? Are you struggling in self-sufficiency against God? Jacob had struggled against God his whole life. If you look back at Jacob's life, he struggled with Esau in the womb, holding onto his heel at birth. He struggled against Esau, deceiving him and selling his birthright for stew. He struggled against his father Isaac, deceiving him into blessing him with the blessing of the firstborn. He struggled against Laban, deceiving him to receive the, the healthiest among the flock. Jacob left the promised land alone and had become a wealthy man with a large family, 11 sons. He was truly the, the self-made man. He was struggling in deception, and yet he was struggling to be successful. By worldly standards, this independent, self-sufficient, wealthy, prosperous man had achieved all. 
And yet, he had not made it into the promised land. Beloved, hear me. God will not allow self-sufficient, independent people to enter the promised land. Jacob must change before he will be allowed to enter back into Canaan. Adam and Eve, if you remember, were sent out of the garden, the original promised land in the Garden of Eden. God made sure that no one would enter his land without trusting in him. So just go, go back with me. This is, I think this is great what, what the narrator of, or the writer of Genesis is doing. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Right at the end of the chapter, it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden, from the Promised Land, to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, look what he did, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So God placed his messengers, his, his, his cherubim, at the entrance of the Garden of Eden so that no one can get in. So now we see Jacob, years down the road, uh, going back into the Promised Land. And look at the beginning of chapter 32. We see as Jacob is going back towards the Promised Land, verse 30, chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw him, he said, this is God's camp. So even as Jacob is going back towards the promised land, he meets these messengers. As a reminder for us who are looking at this book in its entirety, that before he could enter into the promised land, Jacob had to change. For God cannot allow self-sufficient, independent people into his camp. Or he cannot allow self-sufficient, independent people into his heaven. Years later, Jesus looked at the self-sufficient, independent, had-it-all, rich, young ruler and told him that if he was going to inherit eternal life, he must go and sell all and give to the poor and then follow Jesus. The rich, self-sufficient ruler walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth and he could not give it up. Jesus then looked at his disciples and he said, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? In other words, who can cross into the promised land? Who can get back to God? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Beloved, Genesis is about salvation. Genesis answers the question, who can be saved? Who is allowed to enter into the promised land? As Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, so for us, when we believe in God, it is also counted to us as righteousness. We saw that in Romans chapter 4 when we looked at Abraham's life. 
Jacob now is trying to, to re-enter the promised land after being driven out. Now remember what Jesus says in Luke 13. He says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter. Jesus says there are going to be many people who are going to seek to enter the promised land. Just like Jacob is doing in Genesis 32. Many. But this is what he says. Many will seek to enter, but will not be able. How will Jacob be able to enter the promised land? Well, God must break Jacob's proud, self-sufficient heart, as God must break ours. We, beloved, will not enter the promised land if we struggle in our pride and independence against God. If we think that our good works will allow us to enter the promised land, we are struggling against God. If we are trusting in anything but faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will not enter the promised land. Because we are striving in self-sufficiency. We are holding on something of ourselves that is going to enable us to get to the, to the land of promise. Friends, many will try to cross into the promised land, but will not be able to enter. C.S. Lewis, in his great book, uh, Mere Christianity, called pride the great sin. He believed man's quest for self-sufficiency without God was the spark that brought the world into misery. Hear what he says, I quote, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It is through pride the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. The great theologian Jonathan Edwards said the same of Christians. He said this, The first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. It is the chief inlet of smoke from the bottomless pit of the darkened mind and that mislead the judgment. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder a work of God. Spiritual pride is the main spring or at least the main support of all other heirs. Until this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. So what both are saying, unless you deal with your pride, your self-sufficiency, and your independence against God, you will not flourish in your Christian life. You will not be able to make it into the promised land. So it begs the question, how do we know that we are living in self-sufficiency against God? As Christians here today, we probably don't want to do that. So how do we know? I think simply, we neglect prayer. I think but when we neglect prayer, that is the greatest indicator that we are truly living in self-sufficiency rather than self-dependence. 
This was true for Jacob's life. You know, Jacob had many reasons to pray and submit himself to God, but we do not see him pray until fear overtakes him. There are several times in Jacob's life where even he gives honor to the Lord for what he's done. You know, he built an altar after seeing the ladder where the angels and the, uh, were descending and ascending in, from heaven. He gave credit to God for the success, even in, in how he gained wealth, telling Laban that God gave me success. And although there were moments he gave God credit, we never see him make his decisions in submission to God. I think a lot of Christians live this way. They look at their life, and if things go well, they say, God, bless me here. But they never preemptively live their life in submission to God, seeking his will, seeking his, his guidance in how they should walk. And it isn't until for Jacob that he's about to cross into the promised land to see his brother Esau, who wanted to kill him, that he realizes that he cannot enter on his own. Think about this picture. Jacob knows that he's going to face Esau. Fear grips him, and he realizes that he's got to get his life right. How many times do you see someone getting close to the end of their life, getting close to to finishing their race, knowing they're going to meet God, stand and face him, do they realize, now I must get my life right? It's that fear of what's coming that grips Jacob, that grip many. He cannot face Esau alone. Jacob must have had, he must need the hand of God. Jacob sent messengers trying to soften Esau's anger, promising him great wealth. But the messengers returned in Genesis 32, verse 6. Look what it says. They returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. And he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. 400 men. Esau is coming with a small army to meet you. What is Jacob going to do? Now, the first thing that Jacob does is he tries to figure out the problem on his own. He tries in his self-sufficiency, independence. You know, he he responds to the fear by working the problem himself. Look what 30... 32, verse 7 and 8 say, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Even here, Jacob is scheming, using his human cunning to minimize the consequences of his deception. Now, remember, the only reason that Jacob is in this situation is because of his deceiving of Esau twice and deceiving his father, getting him out of the promised land. And yet he knows deep down that his only hope is the Lord. So we see him pray. This is the longest prayer in the entire book of Genesis. Genesis 32, verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, And the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. 
that he may come and attack me, the mothers with children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So what you see here is that Jacob finally admits that he is not worthy for God's steadfast love and faithfulness. He admits that he is a man in need. He confesses to the God of his fathers. This confession we see is the beginning of Jacob's change. And yet we see he still has a scheming heart. He sends his wealth over to to meet Esau in phases, trying to soften his anger. One round, and then another round, reminding Esau that Jacob is coming, and he, he's coming to serve him. He's still hoping and resting in the scheming to save him. Look at, the, look at what he says in verse 20 of chapter 32. He says, For he thought, I may appease him, Esau, with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. See, Jacob didn't know how to struggle with God. He didn't know how to struggle with God because he lived his entire life against him. Second question. Are you struggling in self-sacrifice with God? So after we expose, are we we struggling with self-sufficiency against God and our own strength, our own power? Or are we struggling with self-sacrifice with God? We get to our, our really our text this morning. Jacob has sent most of his wealth already ahead to meet Esau, but he can't sleep. You have those, those nights when, when you're so gripped with something on your mind that you just can't sleep. Well, that's what happens here. Look what the, the text says in Genesis 32, 22. The same night he arose, it's the day of reckoning for Jacob, he took his two wives his two female servants, and his eleven children across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Here in this moment, he sacrifices all. It's a picture that Jacob is surrendering his life and possessions, but it also creates a sense of suspense in the narrative. But theologically, when we look back, we, we know that Jacob must face God alone. Look what the text says in verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, we, we as Christians know where, where the story is going, but the first time they were hearing this, they would not have known who this man was. Was this a robber? Was this Esau? Who was, was coming after him? It says, when the man saw they did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, the narrative does not reveal who the man is that Jacob struggles against. But as soon as the man touches Jacob's hip socket, he becomes crippled. Jacob is still fighting for the blessing. And even asking the man to to bless him, Jacob either thinks this this is God or this is a messenger of God. Either way, this man who he's wrestling with has the power to bless him. Remember, all of Jacob's life is is focused on that blessing. Will he receive the blessing of the promise? Will the entire 
narrative of Genesis goes back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The blessing and the promise God made to Abraham and, and re- renewed to Isaac and now to Jacob. But here he is wrestling with God saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob wants a blessing from the man, but the man first asked Jacob a question. He said to him, what is your name? Remember, this question has been asked to Jacob before when he was in his father's tent. When his father looked at him and said, who are you, my son? At that moment, Jacob looked at his dying father and he said, I am Esau. But here... The stranger asks, what is your name? He plainly says, Jacob. I am the cheater, the deceiver, the schemer, the liar, the heel grabber. I am Jacob. He is finally able to admit his sin of what he has done. He's able to confess who he really is, a prideful Self-sufficient cheat. Friend, do you realize how hard it is to answer that question? Now, we don't think that, right? When someone asks us, what is your name? Well, of course we tell them our name. It's it's, it's written on our our birth certificate. But how hard is it to, to admit that we are Jacob, that we are a sinner, that we are a liar, a cheat, a deceiver, a schemer? We have been trained from birth to defend ourselves, to justify our mistakes by comparing ourselves to others or minimizing the offense of the sin. But we are Jacob. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Really what that's saying is that every single person who's ever lived has robbed or cheated God of his glory. Every single person who's ever lived are glory stealers. They are like Jacob in deceiving themselves, stealing from God. Jacob confesses the truth, and God shows him grace. It's the last thing we expect to happen, and it's the last thing we expect that could happen to us. The stranger reveals who he is by saying, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. God changed Jacob's name. He is no longer the one who struggles against God in deception, Jacob. But now he is the one who struggles with God for his blessing, Israel. Jacob received his blessing because of God's grace. Now God's people would always know, be known as those who struggle with him to experience his blessing. So every time they would hear Israel, they would remember that they are not worthy for the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Every time you hear the word Israel, when you read it in the scripture, you need to know that you and I are not worthy of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And yet God gives us grace. That is astounding. Verse 29. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, 
and my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the suno of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So even to this day, the people of Israel do not eat that, that, that tendon, because it was touched by the hand of God. Many scholars believe that Jacob was wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ here. This is known as a Christophany, a, a picture of Christ uh, in the Old Testament. For God, the text says, met Jacob face to face. Jacob was delivered just as he asked the God of his fathers in his prayer. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, it says, God, deliver me, persevere me. From who? From Esau. Jacob thought he needed deliverance from his brother. But really, he needed deliverance from God. God only used earthly circumstances to expose his real need. What earthly circumstances are you facing today that the Lord is using in your life to expose your real need of him? Your real need is not the the, the circumstance. Your real need is, is the Lord. Jacob, now Israel, would would meet Esau face to face and experience the earthly deliverance and reconciliation with his brother. Turn chapter 33. We see this. Trying to find where it is. I promise it's in there. (laughs) Verse 18 through 20. Um, What we see is that Jacob met Esau face to face. And he says, for I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. The main human obstacle from keeping Jacob from entering the promised land, Esau, now steps aside and allows his brother to pass. And it says in verse 18, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is the land of Canaan, i.e. the promised land. There, it says in verse 20, he erected an altar and called it El Eloi Israel, meaning God, the God of Israel. There's a change here. Jacob no longer addresses God of his fathers. Now he addresses his God, the God of Israel. God made a way for Jacob to enter the promised land. God had to change Jacob to Israel To be able to enter. He walked with a limp. And yet, he crossed the line. Now, the people of Israel would have heard this story as they were about to enter the promised land. Their forefathers were were proud, self-sufficient, and they perished outside the land of promise. Israel would have been reminded that they needed to trust God. For he had already given them a new name. They were Israel. They were no longer Jacob. They were Israel. They are called to struggle with God for his blessing. As Jacob met his enemy Esau, as he was entering 
the promised land. Israel was, was facing their enemy, the Canaanites, as they were entering into their promised land. And God said to them, to the leader Joshua, I, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. It's almost as if God is asking, What is your name? Don't you know your name? You are Israel. Always remember who, whose you are. And like Israel, like Jacob before him, God must change us before we are able to enter into the promised land. The only way that we are able to cross the finish line is if we receive a new name. We must receive the name of him who chose to walk with a limp on our behalf. Genesis 3:15, the first gospel we see in the scriptures. The Lord says to the serpent that he would bruise the heel of the promised seed. Jesus would experience the bruised heel on the cross. Jesus would die to pay for our pride. Jesus would be crushed to pay for our self-sufficiency. He would be stricken because of our independence. He would be identified as Jacob on the cross. So we would be grafted to be in Israel. Jesus was bruised on the cross, and yet he crushed the head of the serpent with his resurrection from the dead. Jesus delivered us from our greatest enemy, death, giving us now the opportunity and all the opportunity to enter into the promised land by the mercy of God. See, he invites all to enter. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, not a, a follower of Christ, Jesus Christ invites all to enter the promised land. But before you come in, you must be changed. We must receive the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must lose our life for Jesus. We must sacrifice our self-sufficiency for the way of the cross. We must forsake all and follow Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never Enter the kingdom of God. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jacob humbled himself and became Israel. Saul humbled himself and became Paul. Simon humbled himself and became Peter. Have you humbled yourself to become one with Christ? Have you received the name Christian? By turning from your sins and trusting in the bruised heel of Jesus and the crushed head of the serpent. Or put very, very simply, are you with Christ? I love the picture of Derek Redmond struggling so hard to finish the race. Only to realize that he could not finish on his own. He needed the help of his father. I'm here, son. We'll finish it together. Beloved, God does that for us. 
God sent Jesus from heaven to become a man so that we could enter the promised land. In the incarnation of Jesus, God says to you and me, I'm here, my children. We'll finish together. Beloved, we must walk with a limp. We must admit our sin and identify ourselves with the bruised heel of Christ. It is only then that we realize that God is the one who will carry us across the finish line into the land of promise. Therefore, as the writer in Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus who says, I am with you. We'll finish this race together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would use this word to help us struggle in self-sacrifice with you. Help the people of God here know that you are with them. That you will never leave them nor forsake them. Dear God, break us of our self-sufficiency, our pride, and our independence. And help us see the only way to enter in the promised land is believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His bruised heel and his resurrection for our good. We thank you so much, Lord, for Jesus who will always be with us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.